The past hundred years have seen a lot of ruined and destroyed cities. I just could name a few circumstances. The relentless bombing of London in World War II. The siege of Stalingrad. The ruins of Berlin. The utter devastation of Hiroshima. More recently, uh, Ground Zero in New York City, the World Trade Center site. Beyond those, there have been numerous natural disasters, uh, too many to name, that have brought destruction to cities and towns and regions. This has led a lot of people uh, to try to find ways to express the pain of their loss, to learn how to deal with grief and mourning. But ruined cities and broken hearts didn't begin in the 20th and 21st century. It was just easier for us to know about them because of modern technologies. Humanity has been mourning the wreckage of their cities and towns and the wreckage of their hopes and dreams for centuries, for millenniums. In fact, I've been amazed at some of the ancient literature and remaining artifacts of cities from thousands of years ago uh, that were mourning the destruction of their buildings, houses, and more than that, the loss of lives. And really, there's nothing that illustrates this kind of pain and sorrow and suffering and grief like the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament. You might have a hard time finding it, so I'm going to give you a head start and ask you to turn to Lamentations, and maybe some of you will find it by the time I finish. It's tucked away in the Old Testament, and we'll talk about it today. It's a pretty neglected book. What is Lamentations? It's five chapters, 154 verses, and nearly half of those verses come in the middle, come in chapter 3. It's fascinating that chapters 1 and 2, 4 and 5 have 22 verses. Chapter 3 has 66 verses, three times as many as any other of the five chapters. Uh, it's, you know, the Bible is made up of different genres of literature. You have some historical books like First and Second Samuel. You have law books like Exodus and Leviticus. You have prophetic books like Malachi and Isaiah. Then you have poetic books in the Old Testament like Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and like the one we're looking at today in the next couple of weeks, the book of Lamentations. It's actually written as five separate poems. The chapters make up five kind of distinct poems. They have things that are very different about them. They don't kind of pick up where the other left off, but they do bear some similarities, as we're going to find out today. They are written as what's known as an ancient city lament. There was a practice among ancient cities where they would write poetic um, laments over their destroyed cities. And the book of Lamentations kind of picks up on that tradition, changes some things about it, but um, it's a, an ancient tradition. It's also um, written kind of like a, a funeral dirge, um, an expression of, of despair and expression of pain and agony, agony through 
uh, the loss of someone. And it's also written as what's called a theodicy, which is kind of a unique word, but a theodicy, theos is the word for God, and theodicy means basically a, a written explanation about the strange ways of God, the providential ways, the ways that God works. And so Lamentations, in, in some ways, is written to help make sense of some very hard things that we're going to find out about. If there's anything in the rest of the Bible that compares to the book of Lamentations, there's a couple. There's some, some psalms that are written that are similar to the book of Lamentations, but maybe the book of Job. If you've ever read the book of Job, uh, maybe similar. But there's one big difference between Job and Lamentations. Job is written from a personal perspective. One man suffering in body and in family and in life. Whereas Lamentation is written more from a national perspective, more from a collective group of citizens and people together. Although it's very personal and very applicable to an individual it never loses sight of the fact that there's a lot of people grieving together. And Lamentations was written not just for one person to grieve, but for many people to use it and grieve together. I wonder if I were to ask you who wrote the book of Lamentations, who would you say? You say, Pastor Daniel, I've, this is the first I've ever heard of the book of Lamentations, so don't ask me questions I don't know the answer to. Well, you're in, you're in good company because there's a lot of people who are not sure who wrote the book of Lamentations. It's technically anonymous. No author is named in the book. Uh, traditionally, though, it's been ascribed to Jeremiah. It's right after Jeremiah in our English Old Testament Bibles. And I think there's the best evidence to say that Jeremiah wrote this book. Philip Ryken gave two clues as to why he thinks Lamentations was written by Jeremiah, and I agree with him, and so I'll share those with you. Number one is that in an ancient document called the Septuagint, now you need to know about the Septuagint because it's very important in history. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew Bible. So we have an English translation of the Old Testament. The Septuagint was a really, really old. It's probably what Jesus read. It was a Greek copy of the Old Testament. And in that, Jeremiah is named as the author of it. Now, that doesn't fully settle everything, but it's some pretty good evidence for it. And then also, the other reason is, is because in other books of the Bible where Jeremiah is talked about or where Jeremiah writes, he's known as someone who writes lament poetry. He composes other laments similar to this, like 2 Chronicles 35, 22 talks about him writing a lament. And so I think that gives some good, uh, um, at least evidence to say that Jeremiah is the author of this book. Now, you will not understand the book of Lamentations if you don't hear very carefully these next words I'm going to say. The book of Lamentations is written out of a crisis, a bigger crisis than I think most of us can really understand. The crisis was the destruction of Jerusalem. Lamentations about the fact that the city of Jerusalem has been completely destroyed. 
and all that goes with the city being destroyed. This happened in the 6th century B.C., so before Christ, six centuries. It happened around 586 or 587 B.C., so almost 600 years before uh, the birth of Jesus. And Jerusalem was destroyed. And when Jerusalem was destroyed, people didn't just lose their houses and lose family members. It was a crisis of faith for them. Because Jerusalem was the holy city. Jerusalem was the place that God chose to put his name. Jerusalem was the city where David the king and David's sons would reign. And so for the city of Jerusalem to be destroyed brought about this massive question. Has God completely abandoned us? Has God left us. And then uh, maybe even worse question than that, I think another question that was prompted was, was Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is he actually the real God? Or is he some kind of inferior God? Because in ancient Near Eastern religions, it was often believed, whether in Egypt or Babylon or um, in um, all these various cities and places that if the God that you prayed to was not strong enough to protect you from your enemies invading, well, that means that their gods are stronger than your gods. And so by Jerusalem being destroyed prompted questions of perhaps our God is not the real God. Perhaps he's inferior to the Babylonian gods because the Babylonians have destroyed us. Lamentations was written after a horrific 18-month siege. The city had been surrounded, had been cut off, and it was an agonizing year and a half. Beyond what really words can describe, although Lamentations attempts that. And then finally, when the siege broke through, the city was just completely annihilated. And the citizens were either killed or exiled sent out. Lamentations is read every year at what's called the Tisha B'Av. It's a holy day of fasting in Judaism. They celebrate it every year, although the, the day changes each year depending on the Jewish calendar. Usually it lands in August, early August, occasionally late July. And what they do is they memorialize, they commemorate, they remember in agony two things. The first destruction of Jerusalem, which Lamentations talks about in 586 B.C., but then the second destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in A.D. 70. So after uh, the life of Jesus and even after the ministry and life of Paul. So that's what Lamentations is kind of about, some quick things about it. But before I put you to sleep with some background information, let's talk about the neglect of Lamentations. I'm not going to show a show of hands because I don't want to embarrass us. But I wonder how many of us have actually ever read this book or know anything about it. It's a neglected book. People don't read it. Pastors don't preach through Lamentations. Especially in America. I mean, you're going to find out that the message of Lamentations does not jive with American culture. And American 
Christianity, if you will. Now, there are a few verses in Lamentations 3 that most people are familiar with, although they probably don't know it's in Lamentations, but they've heard, as we sang earlier, great is thy faithfulness. Found in, 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 in Lamentations 3. And it's the, the, the root basis of that great hymn we sang, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, your mercies are new. Well, that's found in Lamentations 3. But beyond that, most people are unaware of this book. And, you know, I, I'd read that a couple times as I was studying for this. Most people that write about Lamentations talk about how it's neglected. And I thought, yeah, you know, I've never really heard a series preached through Lamentations, and I'm, I'm almost 38. It pains me to say that. It feels old. So when I was young, like 38 was like starting to get old. So I know some of you are thinking that's still young, and some, some of you are like, wow, that is old. Some of you teenagers are like, 38, man. But I've been to church a lot. I mean, I used to tell people I had a drug problem when I was a kid. I was drugged to church. Like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school, any other meeting there. I mean, man, if they were cleaning the church, mom's like, you're going to be there. Like we were there every time. And I don't know that I've ever heard a series through the book of Lamentations. But I thought maybe that's overstating it a bit. Maybe it's not as neglected as we think. And then I pulled down, I should have brought it this morning. I pulled down one of my favorite books. It's a book about uh, an overview of every Old Testament book. And it's written by a guy named G. Campbell Morgan. He's an old writer from uh, the 20th century. And he writes a, a little bit of a kind of a, a synopsis of every book of the Bible. I, I pulled that thing out this week thinking, man, I want to read what G. Campbell Morgan has to say about Lamentations. And guess what he wrote about it? You'll never believe it. Nothing. I couldn't believe it. I thought, well, maybe he just combined it with Jeremiah, because sometimes people do that. No! Nothing! I couldn't believe it. In fact, I took a picture in case somebody didn't believe me. I went into the contents. He's got it in two sections. And I even counted up the books of the Bible. How many of you know how many Old Testament books there are? Some of these from, the, from, from children's church should know you used to have to sing. How many? Nope. Nope. 39. 39 Old Testament books. And I counted up. G. Campbell Morgan, you're killing me, bro. 38 Lamentations swept under the rug. I'm sure it was an oversight, but I'm sure he didn't do it on purpose. But it does highlight the fact that Lamentations is an overlooked book. Well, as we've seen here, why should we pull out and dust off this book of the Bible that so many have kind of pushed aside. Well, and I mean this to be true, the case. Um, I'm always amazed at how God providentially works to arrange the sermon series of our church. Uh, I was preaching through 1 Peter when the pandemic hit. And the pandemic, uh, and the book of 1 Peter is about being exiled, <laughs> It's about a sojourning in a difficult world and, and, and feeling isolated in a lot of ways. And, and it, was, it was a perfect, perfect book for that time. And then 
I had planned to preach through this about a year ago is when I was planning out what I'd be preaching at, at this time in 2023, long before any of us knew what would happen by the recent attacks on Israel by Hamas, by the escalating conflict in the Middle East, by the, the pain and sorrow and losses of life, innocent people in that region. Uh, it's a book for suffering people. It's a book for us and about how to suffer, about what to do with your grief, about how to mourn, and about how you can do that with others. Well, there are five chapters in the book of Lamentations. Let me just give you what I think each five are about, and then we're going to work our way through this overview sermon. If you're new to this idea, every time we start a new book, usually I do what I call an overview sermon. So I'll preach a message about the whole book. Um, and think of it like flying 30,000 feet above the air. And you're starting to come down over Chicago, and you can see there's Wrigley Field. And, you know, there's the, there's the Sears Tower, because no one calls it the Willis Tower, right, if you're from here. And then, you know, there's this, and there's that. And you can kind of see everything, right? And then you land, and then you drive through the streets to get to your house. So what we do in an overview sermon is kind of look at things from a, from a higher perspective, try to figure out what all this is about from a maybe a higher view, and then come through in the next five weeks and look at each chapter one at a time. But chapter one, I call that the grieving widow. And it's not a, a, a literal widow, although there, there certainly were widows as a result of what happened. But it's written from the personification of a grieving widow. Chapter two of Lamentations is what I call the wrathful divine warrior where Israel wakes up to this startling news that God is their enemy. That God has turned his bow and arrow. He has wet his sword for them. Lamentations 3, I call the prophet's grieving process, where the prophet, speaking this, goes through his own grieving process. Lamentations 4, I call that the the carnage in the city, where all chapter, every chapter is graphic about the destruction, but there's something about chapter 4 where he just goes through and talks about the utterly horrific carnage of war, and especially in Jerusalem. And then Lamentations 5 is a prayer. It's a request for remembrance and renewal, where they're praying to God, don't forget us, don't forsake us. Remember us and renew us. There's one last thing that you won't know just by looking at an English Bible of Lamentations. Is Lamentations is written as an acrostic. Chapter 1, 2, and 4. Each of those are an acrostic. That means there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And there are 22 verses in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 4. And so every verse starts with... A letter of the first verse starts with Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Verse 2, Bet. It starts with each of those letters and works their way down. It's really fascinating. Chapter 3 follows this acrostic, but they do them in triplets. So the first three verses in the Hebrew of Lamentations of chapter 3 start with Aleph. And then verse 4, 5, and 6, the letter Bet. 
and then uh, 7, 8, and 9, Gimel, and on and on, all the way as it works through all 66 verses. The only verse, or the only chapter, excuse me, that's not an acrostic is the last one. It's chapter 5. And there have been a, a, a lot of suggestions about why this is the case and what's the purpose of all this. And let me tell you what I think is the best ex explanation. I don't know if this is true or not, but I think it's the best explanation. Why would someone write an acrostic poem in the middle of such a heartache like this? One of the best explanations, I think, is that Jeremiah, who's writing this, is saying that from A to Z, from A to Z, from every letter, here is our pain. Here is what we are grieving and mourning all the way through, comprehensively, from A to Z. And then the question of why isn't chapter 5 in an acrostic form? It still has 22 verses. It's still similar in that sense. But maybe it's to signal the fact that they feel like things are out of control. Because with an acrostic, you have structure. It's controlled. There's a beginning and an end to it. There's an A to Z. But without this acrostic, perhaps there's this conveying of the fact that we feel like there's no end to this. This is chaotic. There's no order or structure, no up or down from what we're facing. Well, let's get into the book of, of Lamentations. I'm not going to read to you all 154 verses, and everyone should say amen that I'm not going to read all of these. But look at verse 1. Read a couple verses here. How doth the city sit solitary? Lonely city that was full of people. How has she become as a widow? She that was great among the nations, prince among the a princess among the provinces, how has she become tributary or a slave? She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Judah is gone into captivity. Because of affliction and because of great servitude, she dwells among the heathen. She finds no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. You can stop there for now. Here's what I think the book of Lamentations is about. It's about grieving before God. It's about grieving in the presence of God. That what Jeremiah is doing in the book of Lamentations is that he's giving voice to the grief of Jerusalem before God. He's expressing this grief. He's pouring out this grief, voicing this grief before God. And that's what I think it means to lament. Lament means uh, that we express our grief to God. We bring our honest and broken hearts before God, and we give voice to that grief in His presence. And I think Lamentations teaches us, I'm going to look at four truths today about what it means to grieve before God. 
Let me give you these quickly. Number one, Lamentations teaches us that our loss and pain can be graphically and comprehensively described before God. Lamentations is a graphic book. It's not comfortable. It's probably why it's neglected and not read. Because it describes things that people don't want to think about. Horrible, horrible things of war and suffering. I just want to list a few of the scenes and point out some of the verses here and that we'll look at through the next few weeks. But verse 3 that we just looked at in chapter 1, captivity, being captured and deported, going off into exile. Another of the graphic portrayals is the picture of slavery in chapter 1, verse 1. How about chapter 5, verse 13? Turn to 5, verse 13. They took the young men to grind, and the children fell under the wood. It's a poetic picture of young men slaving away at the grind mills and children buckling under the weight of carrying heavy wood. Look at chapter 1, verse 6. Starvation. And from the daughter of Zion, all her beauty is departed. Her princes are become like hearts that find no pasture. They're gone without strength before the pursuer. Look at chapter 1, verse 19. I called for my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and my elders gave up the ghost in the city while they sought their meat to relieve their souls. Chapter 2, verse 11. The children and the the sucklings, that means the infants, swoon in the streets of the city. They, they're, literally, they're passing out because they don't have anything to eat. Chapter 2, verse 19. It says, Arise, cry in the night, in the beginning of the watches. Pour out thy heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up thy hands toward him for the life of the young child that faint for hunger in the top of every street. We could go on, but starvation... It's portrayed. Stolen treasures. People who are slain by the sword. Look at chapter 1, verse 20. Behold, O Lord, for I am in distress. My bowels, my innermost being are troubled. My heart is turned within me, for I have grievously rebelled. Abroad the sword bereaveth. At home there is as death. Describes a leveled city. Chapter 2, verse 5 through 9, we won't read all of that, but the city is described as just being completely destroyed. The temple, houses, perhaps the, the worst of all the graphic descriptions is found in chapter 2, verse 20. Chapter 2, verse 20, Behold, O Lord, and consider whom thou hast done this. Shall the women... Eat their fruit and children of a span long. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. The hands of the pitiful women have sodden their own children. They were their meat in the destruction of the daughter of my people. It's describing something that's indescribable. Mothers eating their own children cannibalism because of starvation 
hunger. The fact that they have no food. They've been besieged for so long that they've turned to eat their own children. Describes women who were raped, young men who were killed by hanging. In other words, the author of Lamentation is writing this all down to say, we're not going to let people forget the horrific sights and sounds and experiences of the citizens of Jerusalem. I was thinking about the reason why the Skokie Holocaust Museum exists. It exists as a perpetual reminder of the atrocities committed against the Jewish people and the six million plus slaughtered in the mid-20th century. Same thing with the 9-11 memorial of the Twin Towers in New York City or the Pentagon Memorial or the small but powerful memorial in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. All of these stand as a reminder to people to never forget. I mean, Lamentations describes this pain not only graphically but comprehensively. We don't have time to get into all of it, but leaders, priests, princes, prophets, young women, children, infants, boys, girls, soldiers, young men, mothers, the rich. It lists all these people in some form or fashion. In other words, there's no segment of society that was exempt from feeling the pain of this destruction. Now, what's all this mean for us? We're talking about how our loss and our pain can be graphically and comprehensively described. It doesn't mean that we have to share every gory detail of our suffering. But I think it's an important reminder of how important it can be and often is to name atrocities specifically. Now, you know, I think, again, one of the reasons Lamentations is avoided in modern cultures is because we prefer more sanitized terms, especially when we're not the ones suffering. But have you ever noticed that people who have faced real horrible suffering, they usually don't want others to gloss over what they faced. They don't want people to choose subdued terminology. For example, victims of rape don't want what they've experienced to be sanitized in some way with some lesser term, something that doesn't communicate the horrible atrocity that they faced. And on and on we could go. And so Lamentations is a reminder that we can bring all of that before the Lord and grieve and name it specifically. We don't have to brush it aside. In fact, that often just pushes the pain deeper down and longer lasting. So our pain and loss can be graphically and comprehensively described. Number two, Mourning and weeping is not out of place. Lamentations teaches us that mourning and weeping is not out of place. This book is accurately named Lamentations because it is filled with lament, with anguish, with tears, with weeping. I mean, it's been well said that this book of Lamentations is, is not so much about the past or about the future, but about the present suffering. 
It's really about what he's seeing, what he has seen, what, what he's living in the midst of right then and there. It's focused on the horrible present reality of suffering. I mean, look at all the words he uses. Look at chapter 1, verse 2. She weeps. Verse 4. The ways of Zion do mourn. Verse 11. All her people sigh. Verse 16. For these things I weep. Verse 20. I'm in distress, troubled, heart is turned within me. Verse 21. They have heard that I sigh. Chapter 2, verse 11. My eyes do fail with tears. Verse 18, their heart cried unto the Lord. Verse 19, arise, cry out in the night in the beginning of the watches. Pour out thy heart like water. Chapter 3, verse 32, but though he caused grief. Verse 48, my eye runneth down with rivers of water. Verse 49, my eye trickleth down. 51. My enemies chase me sore. Or excuse me. My eye affecteth my heart because of all the daughters of my city. We could go on and on. I'll stop there. But you get the point. Again and again and again and again. Tears, mourning, weeping. There's no suppressing those emotions. I found that interesting that many churches in America don't have a place for lament in the life of their church, especially in the weekly worship service. Why? Because every song has to be upbeat. You ever been to a service like that? Every song is happy clappy. Now, I like happy clappy. But if every song is happy clappy, and it's like that week, after week, after week, after week, there's a huge segment of the people out there in any church there is that can't hardly sing that. That needs something else. I, uh, our church uses from time to time a, a ministry that helps us produce some materials that we pass out to people. And, and they usually have some kind of... Um, like kind of written, something written out already for you. You can change it if you want, or you can use what they already have. And it almost always is, come into our service where it's upbeat, it's energetic, it's bright, it's happy. It's, and, and I think that, that's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But if every service is like that, now, of course, the other side of it is you don't want to say, hey, come to our service where it's always doom and gloom and <laughs> smiling is forbidden, right? We, 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 we're not there either. Balance is the key, isn't it? That God calls us to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. But if our songs only rejoice with those that rejoice, well, we push those that weep aside, don't we? So what do we need? Well, we need both. I think that's why we need expository preaching. I think that's why we need book by book, verse by verse preaching. Because I would be tempted to preach to you the kind of topics that I like and avoid the ones that I don't. 
And by doing that, neglect to give you some things that your heart and soul needs. Like, for instance, the book of Lamentations. American churches don't like silence. We don't like it right now. <laughs> There's no place. Everything has to be moving. Next thing, next thing. I've got to get this stuff on this. Everything's got to be going always. Because if there's quietness, if there's stillness, well, that's not good production. It starts to feel awkward. Beyond that, though, it's, it's often common for Christians living in North America. And I've heard it with my own ears and seen it with my own two eyes. Christians who live in America, many of them try to act like it's unspiritual or weak in faith. To weep, mourn, and lament. You hear this most at funerals, which is the worst time for people to make insensitive statements. But things like, you should be happy because she's with Jesus. Because he's with the Lord. It's a time to rejoice and celebrate. He wouldn't want us to cry. She wouldn't want us to mourn. And I know that statements like this are well-intentioned. But they're also deeply hurtful. And more than just deeply hurtful, they're actually denying people the very thing the Bible says they need, which is to mourn and grieve. Now, not everyone mourns and grieves and laments the same way, but if weeping at a funeral is unspiritual, then Jesus was unspiritual. I don't think that's the case. I don't think you do either. And it contradicts the way people in the Bible approached loss and death and suffering. They didn't say, hey, let's talk ourselves up into a good mood. Let's play some upbeat music to make us happy when we don't feel happy. No, they expressed their grief. They joined together in mourning. You might be surprised that out of 150 chapters in Psalms, the psalm category that's used the most is lament. Lament. In other words, the book of Psalm is, is not always where you go to clap your hands and stomp your feet and sing something fast. Sometimes it's there. Sometimes you go there to weep, to suffer, not to celebrate. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, To everything there is a season, and every purpose under the heaven a time, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And what's my message for us today here? Let's not rob people of their time to mourn. Let's not rob people of their season to weep. And to be a healthy church, again, we need to rejoice with those that rejoice. And we need to weep with those that weep. An imbalanced church is a church that's either always laughing or a church that's always weeping. A healthy church knows how to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those that weep.
A healthy church knows how to sing every praise is to our God and sing it with joy. And every church knows how to sing, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Why? Because there's some in here today that may be bursting with joy and some who may be bursting with tears. One practical thing that I plan to do over the next few weeks as we go through Lamentations is spend a a little portion of our service towards the beginning, usually when I do my pastoral prayer and leading our church through prayers of lament. That is, I'm going to lead us in some times of prayer where we can learn to lament together, pour out our hearts before the Lord and find comfort in Him and in one another. Let me give you the last two very quickly. I want you to see here, number three, Lamentations teaches us that sin leads to suffering. Sin leads to suffering and suffering that comes from the Lord Himself. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. It says, Her adversaries are the chief, her enemies prosper, for the Lord hath afflicted her for the multitude of her sins. Look at chapter 2, verse 17. The Lord has done that which He hath devised. He hath fulfilled His word in that He hath commanded in the days of old. He hath thrown down and hath not pitied. He hath caused thy enemy to rejoice over thee. Nearly every chapter, Jeremiah, the prophet, says, We are suffering, Lord, and we're suffering at your hands because of our sin. That's the message. That sin leads to suffering and comes from the hand of God. And Jeremiah knows this. He knows that the Babylonians were the human ones that have come in and destroyed them. They are the ones that have done all of this. But he also knows that this is because God has planned it. This is because God has authorized it. And we don't have time to read it, but you would be amazed Because in Deuteronomy 28, all the way from verse 15, all the way to verse 68, do you know what God says to Moses to say to the people? If you disobey me, if you break my covenant, if you rebel against me, this is what's going to happen. And the book of Lamentations stands as a testimony to say everything God said would happen has happened. I'll just read you two verses from Deuteronomy 28. Listen to these. First is verse 25. The Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Thou shalt go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them and shall be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. It's exactly what happened in the exile. Then listen to verse 52. Deuteronomy 28, 52. And he, that's your enemy, shall besiege thee in all thy gates until thy high and fenced walls come down wherein thou trusts throughout all the land. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates throughout all thy land which the Lord thy God hath given thee. You know what Lamentations is? It's a timeless reminder 
to individuals and to societies that you can't sin and win. That you can't rebel against God and get away with it. It's a constant reminder that sin will always lead down the road to shame, to suffering, to captivity and death. Matt read it for us earlier. When lust conceives, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Lamentations, all five chapters, are like a warning sign on the road saying, Don't come here. Don't keep going down this path. Don't keep making these choices. Don't keep tuning God out. Don't keep disregarding His word. Don't keep living in disobedience to His laws. Because if you do, this is the end result. That's why we can't turn away from lamentations. Because as hard and as painful as it is, as much as we want to turn away from it, Jeremiah is screaming to us to say, don't turn away, turn around. Go the other way. Because every single promise God has made, He will fulfill. Even the promises to judge. To judge. Finally, Lamentations teaches us to pray to the Lord for pity in the midst of our worst and most horrific troubles. In almost every chapter, there is some prayer to God. Look at chapter 1, verse 20. We'll just be very quick on these. Behold, O Lord. He's saying, look at me, God. For I'm in distress. Chapter 2 verse 18. Their heart cried unto the Lord. Verse 20. Behold, O Lord, and consider. He's saying, look at me, God. Chapter 3, or excuse me, chapter 5 verse 1 is all a prayer. Remember, O Lord. Chapter 5 verse 1. Remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. Consider and behold our reproach. Look at verse 19 of chapter 5. Thou, O Lord, remainest ever. Thy throne from generation to generation. Verse 21, turn unto us. Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. Again and again. Look at the last verse of chapter 5. It doesn't end on a high note. But thou hast utterly rejected us. Thou art very angry or wroth against us. But all hope is not lost because look at chapter 3, verse 21. And a lot of people think that Lamentations 3 is the climax of the whole book. It's the centerpiece. It's the focal point of everything. Verse 21, Jeremiah says, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. 
You know, if all we had, if the Bible ended at the book of Lamentations in verse 22, chapter 5, we would be in a mess. But the Bible doesn't end there. We have the rest of the Bible and all of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we know that God did remember His people, that God did renew His people. What we find through the work of Ezra and Nehemiah, that God did renew the city of Jerusalem, that God did rebuild the temple and the altar and restore the people. But more than the physical city of Jerusalem that was rebuilt and then destroyed again is the promise of a new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. And I read it this week. It was a part of our Bible reading plan at Living Hope providentially. And I just had to smile when I read it as I've been reading Lamentations all week long. And then I come to Isaiah 65 and verse 5, 65 verse 17. For behold, I create new heaven and new earth. The former should not be remembered nor come to mind. But be ye glad and rejoice for in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her a people of joy. He goes on to say in verse 20, there shall no more thence an infant of days be put to, uh, uh, shall no more be the death of an infant or an old man that hath not fulfilled his days. He goes on to talk about how that there will be no more of this kind of suffering and pain that they have experienced. So Lamentations encourages us to press on in the darkest and most painful seasons of life to press on with God because He is more merciful than we are sinful. To trust that He is more merciful than we are sinful. Lamentations teaches us great is our failings, but greater still His faithfulness. Well, I found it interesting that one commentator pointed out that in the New Testament, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They said, some say you're John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And you know, the truth is, is that there are no times in the New Testament where Lamentations is directly quoted. But I think there are a lot of parallels between the book of Lamentations and the life and ministry and suffering of Jesus. Especially when Jesus was about to enter into Jerusalem. And he wept over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered thee. And then the cry of abandonment of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken And what I believe is that Jesus Christ is the answer to every single one of these prayers of grief and mourning and loss from the book of Lamentations. When they're crying out, remember us, have mercy on us, give us some new mercies from your great faithfulness that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus is God's answer to that cry. So now, all of us, in all of our suffering, in all of our loss, in all of our pain, can look to the suffering of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus.
and say, there is my hope. Because one day, with Jesus and His return, is coming the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, where there's no more tears and sorrow and sickness or death. And Lamentations tells us that's not the day we live in now, but that's the hope of the future. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you've given us a book like Lamentations. It really is a gift to us. And it's a gift to us in the hardest times of life that we have somewhere that we can turn to pour out how brokenhearted we feel. How many tears and weepings that we faced and we can come and read and learn how to express our pain before you and grieve before you. And I pray that you'd help us in this series to know how to grieve before you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who's never trusted in your son to find salvation in him, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. They would see that you're a God who keeps all of your promises, even the promise to judge us as sinners. And except we repent, we will face a devastation and destruction far greater than the ruins of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. So I pray, Lord, that you'd help every person in this place to find salvation and redemption in Jesus, your son. For, Lord, you are faithful to forgive and cleanse of all our unrighteousness when we come to you by your son. And Lord, for any who are here today as Christians with heavy hearts, with grief and mourning and sorrow, whether in their own life personally or looking at the horrible things in the world around us, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to see through the tears, through the pain, that we have hope in Christ. And that one day, our Lord will come again and we will sing and shout the hymn of heaven with him and with all of his people and sustain us by that hope. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.